listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of ACB Advocacy Update. This is Claire Stanley, the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist here at the American Council of the Blind. And Clark Rockfall, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for ACB. Thanks to everyone listening on ACB Radio as well as those who have subscribed and downloaded via your favorite podcast players. And now and through the rest of 2020, thank you to Sprint T-Mobile for supporting our podcasts. So this week, we are going to take a dive into one of my favorite topics, transportation. Um, So we had a great... Clark's laughing at the way I said transportation. Um, It's like you're trying to mix in a a Queen song, like bicycle, transportation. I want to ride my bike. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) so we had a great resolution passed back at convention in 2019 that called for a, a forum or a summit on transportation to be held this year at convention. And it was in... I know I'm biased, but I think it went phenomenally well. And so we have three members who helped put it on talk with us today. Yes, and this transportation forum was a collaboration between the ACB Transportation Committee as well as the Environmental Access Committee. So we have conversations with the committee chairs. So for Transportation Committee, that's Sheila Styron. And for the Environmental Access Committee, That's Becky Davidson. And then we wrap up with the chair of our advocacy steering committee and former chair of the transportation committee, Mr. Ron Brooks. So buckle up. That's my first pun of the evening. I'm jealous. I'm so jealous. Buckle up and get ready. We're going to throw lots of puns at you that have to do with transportation. But buckle up and get ready to to hear from these three awesome members of ACB and uh, contributors to the forum. Claire is leaving me in the dust with her puns. I'm barely visible in the rearview mirror. It's ridiculous. Don't worry. I'm going to drive this forward. All right, folks, thanks for joining us, and please enjoy the conversations. Great. Well, let's get started today with speaking with our um, our ACB members who were really the, the backbone of the transportation forum. I'm excited to hear from them. So our first guest that we're going to talk to today is Sheila Styron. Sheila, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Well, you already did, but I'm Sheila Styron, here with my guide dog, Paxton, and I am a member of ACB's Advocacy Committee, but I'm also chair of the Transportation Committee for ACB. Great. Uh, I don't know if you want more background or history than that. Um, I've uh, in the past been president of GDUI and Guide Dog Users of California. And I work as the blindness low vision specialist here in Kansas City for a Center for Independent Living, where I do a lot of advocacy work in several different areas, including transportation. Um, I guess my two areas of expertise really are service animals and um, the ADA, as uh, 
I was the first blind person to get certified as an ADA coordinator through the Great Plains ADA Center here um, a few years back. And Sheila, thank you for joining us during the advocacy boot camp during the virtual conference and convention um, and for being a lifelong advocate. Mm -hmm. Today, we really want to focus on transportation and specifically uh, the work of you and others and the outcomes from the, the transportation forum, um, because Claire, wouldn't you say that Sheila was really a driving force behind the transportation yeah, forum? Yeah, she was. <laughs> I like your pun there. Thank you. Yeah, so let's let's talk very briefly before we jump in and talk about the forum itself, which was phenomenal, and I know all of the, the participants really enjoyed it and took a lot from it. Um, you talked about being involved in the Transportation Committee. For our listeners who aren't familiar with the Transportation Committee, can you give us kind of a nutshell explanation of what that is and what you guys do? The Transportation Committee has several functions and I believe it sort of changes over time. Um, this year, my main function, this was my first year chairing the committee. And last year, and I'm sure others will talk more about this, um, resolutions were passed, um, sort of giving the transportation committee a job to move forward and help ACB to define its work in transportation, help us develop a transportation platform. So um, as a outcome of the, some of the resolutions passed, it was our job to create a transportation forum, which we entitled to transportation and beyond to, I mean, uh, now if to mobility and beyond, sorry about that. And um, we wanted to uh, have all of our activities this year at convention, and it worked out pretty well. I do believe, um, focus on getting input from our members, sort of bolstered by some guest speakers with expertise to help guide ACB forward as, as we decide which of the myriad of issues that are out there for us to tackle are the ones we want to focus on, need to focus on moving forward. And of course, there are a lot of complications with the pandemic and even new issues that came up. But that was our job, was to try to work on sort of steering ACB through uh, talking to our members and gathering information from our guest presenters so that moving forward, we can solidify the direction. And I can tell everybody that I was fortunate enough to sit in on the different sessions of the forum and hear from the presenters and hear from our own ACB members and their input. And it was great. But Sheila was really the, the driving force. She was in the driver's seat and really helped to oversee, um, you know, getting everybody from point A to point B and really helping to make sure that we stayed on track. So what was that like, Sheila? Did you have fun? I'm sure it was a little bit stressful, but what was it like to kind of be the the overseer of all of the different components of the forum the conductor well that's nice calling me the conductor and the driver but all year i've been being called or referred to as the cat herder and <laughs> it was sort of like that because we had as you probably remember a pretty intense program with a lot of different pieces a lot of different players a lot of different presenters and um i 
take my um, duties very seriously. I didn't actually do any presenting this time around, but I was responsible for making sure everybody did what they were supposed to do, when they were supposed to do it. And I, for the most part, except for once when I was a note taker and Becky helped me out, I started and ended the calls and I kept the time and I made sure that all the announcements were made and that everybody knew about their CEU credits. And during the year, you know, just it, it, it was so thick. There were just so many different levels happening at the same time. And uh, I kept track and tried to take reasonable notes and just make sure that that all of the things people said at meetings in moments of passion were captured in the meeting notes and then uh, reminding people uh, of what they had promised to do and what we had all agreed to do. Um, I guess I sort of was the conductor and also maybe the trash picker upper too. I mean, it was, <laughs> it, it was, it was definitely a big effort and uh, there were more than a couple of times when I sort of woke up in the middle of the night with my heart pounding going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, did I take care of that? Did I make sure, you know, that we got that on time, turned that into, uh, turned that into Janet. So yeah, it was a lot of that kind of, uh, you know, not super glamorous, but, um, you know, we did keep everything going and keep everything together. And I'm so grateful for everybody's hard work and everybody doing their jobs too. Well, I think you did a phenomenal job. I think it's easy to um, only think of the people on, on stage, so to speak, but doing the work behind the stage and getting everything done is so crucial for things to run smoothly. So uh, just props to you. I think you, you did a great job and thank you for that leadership. You're welcome. And I'll add that all of the content from the Transportation Forum uh, is either available or soon will be as podcasts on the ACB radio, um, ACB conference and convention channel. So you can find that at acbradio.org or by searching for the ACB conference and convention via your favorite podcast player, among with the content from many of the other sessions. So. This transportation forum uh, will not only be the gift that keeps on giving in terms of the content and the findings, but for folks to introduce themselves to these issues anew as well. And along the lines of the gift that keeps on giving, if I can jump in again, um, we have decided that there was so much interest in the topics we discussed discuss that we are going to be doing some ongoing monthly community calls on transportation. So we're in the process of starting to set those up. And I know we haven't picked our day, but we're going to try to go for the same day every month so people will be comfortable and, and be able to remember when we'll be doing these. And I know our first call is going to be on COVID issues. And I believe Ron Brooks and maybe Pat Sheehan boy, I hope I don't have that wrong, are going to be doing that call. And then in September, I will be uh, presenting on asking a lot of questions of our membership who participate about riding public transit. That's a real passion and concern of mine and want to kind of get some information on that and see how we can work to make that more comfortable for people and find out, you know, well, maybe people really don't want to ride and why don't they want to ride? And Becky will be, Becky Davidson will be co-hosting with me. And then in September, 
we will have another one on, um, boy, maybe I shouldn't have opened my mouth. I think it's going to be on some more paratransit concerns with um, Pat Sheehan and Connie, uh, Connie, Connie Sims. Dakota. <laughs> yep. Excuse me. And, uh, and so that will be developing. And with those two, you can bet you're going to get both sides of the coin with, with rural and urban issues. So Sheila, before you go, I just want to ask one question that I'm excited to ask all of our, our guests today. What's one major thing that you took away or that you learned from the discussion? I know there were so many ideas that came up from people from urban backgrounds, rural backgrounds, people who have been, you know, using transportation for years and some who are new to the field. So just with all the different ideas that were thrown around, was there anything you learned or that you took away or that you found especially fun? Just one takeaway from the event. I think my biggest takeaway is sort of more general and big picture issue uh, that people are super concerned with transportation. And so I guess it renewed my um, interest in, in not giving up the fight and just saying, oh, there's nothing we can do about this. Everything is so hard. It renewed my energy and my interest in moving forward because when there is this much passion for um, something that we all need to have in place in our lives to to go forward and be successful we've got to find a way to harness that energy um, uh, attach it to the most pertinent issues and drive this train forward so that we can make that aspect of our lives as people who are blind and low vision somehow better moving forward and I think we got beyond, you know, the level of people just complaining about their paratransit rides, moving on to uh, the importance of all working together to see what we can do about some of the issues we all face as a tribe. Mm. That's, that's so beautifully put. Thank you for sharing that. So Sheila, it sounds like um, the, the interest in transportation um, it's a, a combination of concern about access to transportation, but then also, did you also sense some excitement about what's to come or what can be done? There is some excitement and there has been over the past few years, but I think it's also combined with a fear of losing some of what we've got due to the current pandemic. Uh, for instance, I, I'm a bus rider here in Kansas City and we have less buses and we have buses going less often and paratransit has been cut back. So I think there is also energy um, swirling around uh, fear of, of of loss, but it, so it's really important at this time to take that energy and, and put it toward fixing it and keeping it alive and really, you know, um, minding our P's and Q's and, and taking stock of where we have to go to make sure we are at the table as decisions are being made that will um, impact our lives. 
Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us. Um, like I said, I feel like you were really the force behind the transportation forum. So thank you for all your amazing leadership. Um, it it really, really showed in, in what the transportation forum looked like. So we just can't thank you enough for everything you did. Wow. Well, thank you. And you are very, very welcome. And you two have made my day. Aww. Yeah, and the, and the Transportation Forum will certainly serve as a, a strong foundation, um, not only of knowledge, but also to build advocacy off of that knowledge. Uh, so again, Sheila, thank you for helping pull together the Transportation Forum and joining us for this conversation here today. And folks, we'll take a short little break and then stay tuned for our next guest. And in the meantime, we will try to come up with as many more transportation puns as possible. So stay tuned. ATP. Great. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the next segment of our podcast today. Um, we just heard from Sheila, which was great. And now we're going to move on to another one of our ACB members who's involved in our Environmental Access Committee. Um, so without further ado, Becky Davidson, do you mind introducing our, yourself to our, um, to our listeners out there? Hi, everybody. Um, I am indeed Becky Davidson. I currently chair ACB's Environmental Access Committee. Um, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and recently retired from my 21-year position with Guiding Eyes for the Blind as an outreach manager. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you. And uh, to have chosen to remain and become more involved with ACB, um, particularly on these issues, but just in general, because ACB has a lot going on and a lot of opportunity for people to get involved and advocate for things that matter to them. And also to just the, the what's amazing to me, I know I digress, but what's amazing to me is um, the work that's been done within ACB to create a community that is probably unique among consumer organizations now in terms of um, discussion and just outreach and communicating with one another and uh, Cindy Hollis and, and other ACB who are involved in making that happen deserve a lot of commendation. They were very helpful with the forum too. So that will get us back on track with the forum. So Becky, you just talked about the Environmental Access Committee. I thought we were talking about transportation. Can you uh, bring those together for us? What's that all about? Well, environmental access involves pedestrian safety and usually to get from where you want to go to the transportation that will help get you there, there's pedestrian activity involved. Um, there are, you know, there are things that we do separately, but there are things we do together because transportation includes walking um, and being safe on our streets. That is part of that whole thing. So. Um, so yeah, that's, we're very strongly involved with pedestrian safety. Becky, thank you for framing that. And I agree 100%. If, if Claire is traveling to go out, you know, dancing at a nightclub, she, <laughs> you know, she wants to plan her trip door to dance floor. <laughs> that's you know, right. Not, not just curb to curb. So environmental access is a very big part of that um, and just goes hand in glove with transportation. 
Is yes. that a glove compartment? <laughs> you were one of the um, great leaders who helped put on one of the many sessions during the transportation forum. I was really fortunate to get in to sit in on, I think I actually sat in on all of the different sessions, but I know you and Karen Gurji, if I remember correctly, um, led one of the sessions. Do you mind telling us what the topic of the session was, what you guys presented on, uh, what you took away from it? We'd love to just learn more about that session. Okay, well, our focus was, as, as you will suspect, on the pedestrian side mm -hmm. of this. And um, the, the title was, um, reading the signals and navigating the chaos and our our discussions revolved around the kinds of things that pedestrians are facing in this current modern age of, mm -hmm. of um, changing intersections changing uh, modes of transportation um, more stuff on the sidewalk and at the street corner and all of those kinds of things so we talked about those things and a lot of the discussion revolved around accessible pedestrian signals or APS um, but we also talked about who who oversees what in this realm um, and also we talked about coalitions. Karen Gorgi is a founding member of New York City's PASS Coalition, Pedestrians for Accessible Safe Streets. And um, that has sort of become a model for other areas around the country to get coalitions of, of people interested in, in these pedestrian issues. Because while we certainly have our, our concerns as blind pedestrians, Pedestrians in general have reason to be concerned. For sure. um, and there were statistics that were that um, came out from the Federal Highway Administration oh, several months ago, indicating that car and pedestrian conflicts had increased dramatically and pedestrian injuries and deaths uh, because of being hit by vehicles have really climbed. Uh, and it's not just blind pedestrians, although um, we seem to find ourselves in more vulnerable positions. Um, pedestrian issues are, are more than just about us, but uh, we're the ones that have chosen to and should be making all the noise. But I think it's important for us to recognize, to realize that we can pull in other others uh, into this discussion and into the to this realm to to get things done. So how did the discussion go? I know you guys did some presentations, but then you opened up the floor uh, to, to people, any participants to just bring up comments or questions or suggestions. How did that go? Did you enjoy it? Did people bring um, valuable information to the table? People did bring valuable information to the table in terms of what what concerns them and things that are happening in different areas around the country, whether it's a rural area or an urban area or a suburban area. Um, for example, somebody commented that uh, in their area, they had requested an APS, Accessible Pedestrian Signal, be installed at an intersection that they use regularly. And then they moved to a different neighborhood. And so the, the, the authorities, as it were, came and removed that APS. I mean, that's absurd, right? Um, that was a reason to be concerned. Um, and people talked about, you know, if you ask for an APS, um, they generally need to, are required to provide it. Um, and so that discussion happened. 
But one of the things that we would like to see happen is that you shouldn't have to ask for it. That those who are making the decisions about installing traffic lights and traffic signals and those kinds of things should be thinking in terms of, is it, um, is it gonna be used by, by pedestrians? And if it is, you know, whether or not there's one blind pedestrian or, or a community of blind pedestrians using it shouldn't matter. It should be installed regardless. But as it stands right now, people can ask for them and, and often do. You might wait a while, depending on where you are. Um, some, some communities are pretty proactive. Here in Charlotte, <clears throat> they're quite proactive with this. Um, every intersection that they update the signals, they're putting in APSs. Mm -hmm. So um, I feel pretty grateful about that. And Becky, talk a little bit more about that. Um, I guess like the modernization of um, traffic patterns and intersections for oh, a little while now here at the national office, we've been hearing about leading pedestrian interval ah, yes. resolution passed related to this topic yes. um, last, last year. Mm -hmm. Was the relationship of leading pedestrian interval, LPI, and accessible pedestrian signals discussed as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's, a, it's because LPIs are being installed at a pretty hefty rate now. Um, and what it does is it gives pedestrians a, a few seconds extra time to cross the intersection before the walk sign actually comes on. So if you're blind, you don't know that that lead pedestrian signal has changed to allow you to start across the street. So you're waiting for the walk sign and the traffic surge. Um, so you're not getting the same information that other pedestrians are getting. And it is a major concern. Mm -hmm. So that's why the resolution came up last year that any time an APS is updated or to be installed, it needs to in include the leading pedestrian uh, interval signal audibly so that, um, or accessibly so that everybody has access to the same information. And really that's what environmental access is about. It's having equal access to the information in our environment. Mm. That's great. That's all we want. Nothing more, nothing yeah, less. No, Just yeah, equal. Exactly. Yeah, at least yeah. as much. Great. Well, can you tell us, uh, the, I asked Sheila this question and I'm going to ask our next speaker, Ron, the same thing, but I'm just curious, did you take anything away from this? It can be fun, it can be serious, it can be something new you learned or something you can apply in real life, but what was at least one thing that you took away from the forum? Um, you know, people, people want to be heard. Mm. Uh, people have concerns they some of them are unique some of them are almost universal but people want to be heard and they want to know how they can get their voice heard and i think you know sometimes we can get so involved with the the logistics of this stuff the legalities all of those kinds of things and you know preparing for this we were looking at all the terminology and glossaries of terms and all of those kinds of things um, but you know, I guess talking to people and, and about this and, and hearing what people said, and I was all, all of the presentations too, hearing the kinds of people, things that people talked about, it's, it's very much a, a nuts and bolts. It's very much a grassroots. It's very much 
my situation matters to me, how do I get help? Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, it kind of helped me to refocus on, you know, yeah, I, we all agree on uh, how we advocate that how things should be um, legally or according to the ADA or according to just logic, um, which we don't know a whole lot about logic anymore, but you know what I mean. Um, and just hearing people talk about the reality of their situation, um, I find motivating. That's great. Speaking of the glossary that you mentioned, I know that's something that uh, the two committees, Transportation and Environmental Access, have talked about as a resource. Will any of the resources that you guys worked on pre-convention uh, be available for the public? Well, there's a document up on the downloads page. Um, actually, there are several documents up there um, from the from the forum. There are documents from the speakers, both the main session on the Sunday and the the advocacy session on Wednesday, plus um, Chris Bell put together a, a pretty comprehensive um, document with glossary and definitions and all kinds of stuff that is up there. And then also um, the two committees have come together to create an ad hoc group to um, study and revise and look at revisions for the pedestrian safety handbook, which uh, is a resource that ACB has had on its website for a long time. And the most recent edition is 2012. Um, and it is a phenomenal uh, resource. And so we're in the process of seeing what it, what we need may need to do to update it and to get in some of the more modern stuff like scooters and that kind of stuff in there um, so that you know, people, and, and the reason that it was put online in the first place was so that we could actually go in and do that. So there are a group of us um, from both committees that are working uh, on that. We're just in the beginning of that process. So, uh, um, so that's, a, that's another resource that will be ready, readily available for people. All right, Becky, because you brought them up. I have to ask you about scooters. Oh, you know, I just, <laughs> I just, I just saw a thing on CBS News this morning about they call them mopeds. I guess I, I, they're the sim, they're similar to the e-scooters. The e-scooter is something that you can go and pay like a certain amount for, hop on it and ride to wherever you want to go that you don't want to walk to. Mm-hmm. So, like say especially in urban areas, if you have to park your car 10 blocks from where your office is, then you you find one of those scooters and you hop on it and then you go and and when you get to your office, you theoretically put it in a docking station, but most people just drop them on the sidewalk. Um, But apparently there's also, at least in New York City, these mopeds and two people can ride them. They have helmets on board so that you're supposed to wear a helmet but i guess a local news reporter was killed in an accident while riding on the back of one so it's brought a lot of attention to the problem of these things you know being not necessarily being safe um, for people and they're riding them they ride them on the sidewalks they ride them wherever they just need to get Um, and the idea is kind of intriguing but for pedestrians they're difficult um, especially if you happen to trip over one at a street corner that somebody dropped 
or you don't hear them coming as they come up behind you. Um, and this has been discussion for several years now. Um, last year at our um, forum that we did in where we're, Rochester, I guess we were, um, one of the things that, that happened was that Lucas Frank from the Seeing Eye, who is one of the pedestrian safety gurus, um, said that in Holland, the scooters are required, the manufacturers are required to build in a bell on the scooter so that when it's moving, this bell rings and you can't turn it off. And it rings for a sequence, so you always hear them coming. Um, that's one of the things we hope scooter manufacturers will take into account. But they, they have become kind of the bane of pedestrian um, existence in some areas, especially on crowded sidewalks. We're starting to have to share our sidewalks with those with, um, there's a, a bicycle that's an e-bike that's similar um, and this moped thing that you can, you know, you can put five bucks in and, and ride it to where you want to go and then drop it off. Um, so if the, if the system worked the way it was designed and people docked their scooter or whatever in a specific docking area or station and not littered the sidewalk with them, that would be a start towards making this workable. But um, it's something that we're, we're concerned about. Yeah, we often hear scooters and um, bikes and e-bikes and mopeds, like you mentioned, referred to as um, micro-mobility or even shared right. services. Right. Um, the, the aspect that's missing from that conversation is, yes, the devices are shared themselves, but they also need to share the public rights of way. Exactly. Uh, pedestrians and everyone else. So how can we uh, facilitate that? And I like the idea of adding a bike. It, years ago, ACB was part of the um, the push to require the quiet cars emit an audible sound. Um, so is that potentially a solution here going forward for um, these shared mobility services? Maybe. To have a bell, yeah. To have a bell, yeah, or something. The bell, I mean, sometimes bicyclists will ring a bell on their bikes, mm -hmm. um, and, and that can be really helpful. I think I think what concerns us, and, and this was discussed um, under several different parts of the forum, I think people don't necessarily think about looking out for other people the way they used to. Um, hence, you've got people walking down the street texting and smacking into you. It's really funny when a blind person is walking along in a safe spot and somebody crashes into, into us. And we're the ones that are supposed to be crashing. Yeah. Um, so they say, um, you know, it, that kind of thing that people are so absorbed in their own stuff uh, in you know, whatever they're involved in, whatever they're doing that um, they're not really paying attention. We have tech people driving and texting and people end up getting hit by cars because the driver is not paying attention. Um, that distract, that whole distraction thing, I guess we're just all pretty distracted um, too into multitasking. Mm -hmm. And it's not safe in that pedestrian environment. Well, I think this was a perfect example of the micromobility of one of the many topics that the Environmental Access Committee uh, and Transportation get to work together on. So uh, we, we have some great minds working on these issues and the forum really brought 
brought all those thoughts out. So um, it's exciting to hear that, you know, ACB has lots of ideas going and hopefully we'll, we'll see them um, develop great policy and great ideas moving forward. Good. And on that note, Becky, what, is, what are the next steps for environmental access coming off the transportation forum? We spoke with Sheila earlier in this podcast and she mentioned some community events. Are you all already thinking about the Transportation Forum 2.0 in 2021? We are actually planning to do monthly calls on the To Mobility and Beyond theme. Um, probably the first one I'm working and I'm in communication with Cindy Hollis now to set up uh, a recurring monthly call that will hopefully um, be the last week of each month, probably on a Tuesday or a Thursday, um, with different topics from within the the big forum from, you know, um, to be discussed. So yeah, we're doing that. We're working on updating the pedestrian safety handbook, and we want to make sure that is a, that is something that is a useful resource for people. Um, and so those are the two things community-wide that we're, we're working on. Well, great. We look forward to those community calls and thank you for your work updating that handbook. Mm-hmm. Well, Claire's not involved in that, in that work group too. So that's true. So, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I really enjoyed working with, with both of you. So, um, I appreciate the work that you both do and the advocacy, um, information that you're getting out there on this regular basis. I think it's really important to get people engaged. For sure. Well, thank you so much, Becky. We really appreciate talking to you today. It's it's fun kind of uh, talking with it was Sheila and you and Ron today, kind of looking back to just a few weeks ago and how fun and exciting convention was in the transportation forum. So it's great to reflect on on what was done and what was accomplished. I agree, and I think it's important to to keep those lessons that each of us carried from it um, in the front of our in front of our minds to as we move forward and and look at what our next steps are going to be. For sure. All right, Becky, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. And folks listening on ACB radio and via your favorite podcast player, please stay tuned. We'll take another quick break and then we'll be joined uh, by our final guest. We'll shift gears into our last presenter. You like it? You like it? it. (laughs) All righty then. So last but definitely not least, we have um, another guest here to talk to us about his involvement with the forum, um, his takeaways, all that kind of stuff. So uh, Ron, do you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Sure. I am Ron Brooks. I am a longtime member of ACB, have been involved in the Transportation Committee for probably more than 10 years, and my career in transportation goes back 27 years. I've worked for public transit agencies. I've worked for private companies that provide public transit and paratransit services, and right now I am vice president of one of our newest corporate sponsors, a company called American Logistics. We exist to reinvent paratransit to make it more flexible, more responsive, and cost-effective for the agencies who pay for it. 
great. It's great to have somebody who really has skin in the game. So it's exciting. Absolutely. But also right. experience yeah. as well. That is true. Yeah. Yep. So Ron, um, I was really fortunate to attend. I think I attended every single session of the transportation forum and I really enjoyed it and I learned a lot. Um, several of the presenters for the forum uh, were individuals that I believe you had some direct relationships with and that you invited to be presenters. Can you tell us a little bit about who those presenters were, what they talked about, kind of the relationships you had with them pre-existing? Sure. So the the first day that we had our workshop was on Sunday, and I was very fortunate to invite a person that I've worked with for uh, more than a dozen years. Uh, first, uh, we were not working together. She was running a regional uh, transportation trade association called the Southwest Transit Association which is a trade association representing eight states across the Southwest. And then our paths crossed at Valley Metro in Phoenix, the transit agency where uh, she was actually my boss for a time. And we are still friends. In fact, when I left Valley Metro to take my current job, she took my position on an interim basis until they got a replacement. Um, her name is Carol Ketcherside and she is deputy director of planning and development so her job at the agency is to um, organize the agency's efforts to get money uh, for, from the federal government uh, to plan projects, to oversee the design and development of projects. So it was perfect for the topic, which was how do we, how is transportation funded and how is it planned, which is exactly what she did. So she spent some time talking through all those topics and the one thing that I would say came from her presentation is that it varies by project mm -hmm. by agency by funding stream and the key is to know your local agency and how things work so our next speaker on Sunday was Chris Bell I did not uh, arrange for Chris uh, Chris arranged for himself because he has been involved in these issues for a long time he's a member of the EAC uh, which is the Environmental Access Committee and he is president of the North Carolina affiliate. So he certainly can hold his own um, and did a nice job talking through some of the legal issues that affect the, the transportation space, if you will. The final speaker on Sunday was someone that I have crossed paths with in the work that I do in the environment, sh shared use mobility, and also some of the emerging technologies. His name is Adam Cohen. He is a researcher with the uh, University of California at Berkeley, uh, even though he actually is officed in Southern California. He was there to really talk about shared use mobility, which is, a, which is kind of an umbrella concept. Uh, think of it as a very large train car, and there are lots of passengers, and those passengers are everything from automated vehicles to uh, microtransit to TNCs, which is how Uber and Lyft and companies like that can get involved in transportation. Uh, E-bikes, e-scooters, all those sorts of things were things that he was there to talk about and how those things impact the transportation landscape. On Wednesday, so we had our small groups and I'll talk a little bit about um, you know, my part in that in a minute, but on Wednesday then on the last day, we had a closeout session with Dr. Judy Shanley, 
And I've known her for probably about 10 or 12 years. And she, uh, uh, Dr. Shanley, came from the education and special ed environment. And she has been working and now is the director of the National Center on Mobility Management, which is a, uh, it's it's an organization that's funded in part with federal money and in part by Easter Seals. Mm -hmm. And they are in the space of helping gather research and gather best practices and to promote how mobility gets managed and coordinated. And so that, that's her role. And she was there to talk about coalitions and how do we build coalitions because transportation is a local issue. Things happen there. They don't really happen federally except for funding and regulation. Everything else is local. And so being effective means building local coalitions. Yeah, that was something I definitely learned and took away from the, the presenters for sure. So a great thing to learn. Um, so those were the presenters that you talked about who were all phenomenal, by the way. Thank you for bringing them in. But then you alluded to the fact that um, there were several sessions that happened as well. And we actually talked to Becky already, so we know what session she led and learned a lot from her. Can you talk about any of the sessions that you, any of the sessions you helped lead and kind of what you guys talked about and that kind of thing? Oh, sure. So we had uh, three other sessions that were really designed as, well, when we were going to be in person, we called them small group discussions. Mm -hmm. What happened virtually is that they were large group discussions. I was going to say it's a misnomer now. They were huge. Yeah, they were big. <laughs> uh, and one of them dealt with what I will call urban mobility and kind of paratransit in the, in the urban space. And Pat Sheehan ran that discussion. And the conversation there was really kind of specific to ADA-mandated paratransit as it exists today. Talked a lot about how the service works, uh, what are the challenges that people are facing, and really just kind of documenting what is the current state that people are dealing with. We had another session called they roll up the sidewalks at night and it's kind of a funny pun but it, it it's a play on the fact that in small towns transportation looks an awful lot different mm -hmm. it's funded a little bit differently there isn't as much of it uh, it doesn't run in the same way and the issues are super different and they're they're challenging and one of the things i didn't know because we always think of big cities and all of us who live in big cities 19% of the American population lives in rural communities and small towns. Mm -hmm. So one in five, which is a lot, more than I expected, face these issues every single day. And uh, Connie Sims was the person who really spoke to these issues because she lives in that type of a community. And she did a nice job of cataloging some of those challenges and really talking through those issues. Yeah, that's the, the second, second shout out we've had for Connie today. So yeah, yes. she's done a great yeah. job. So the session that I led was on the reinvention of paratransit. And the basis for that conversation is a couple of things. One, it's where I spend my time working. So yeah, this is what I do for my day job. But the the bigger picture is that transportation, the landscape is changing. Paratransit was invented at a time 
when technology was different, mm -hmm. when the best we could hope for was a computer scheduling system that could group trips into routes and put them on vans that, that basically run like buses. And we know how that service works. It's expensive. People don't really like it. They have a lot of concerns about how long it takes, about how unpredictable it is. It, it's not ideal service. So technology has now changed. We wanted to have a conversation with if we could reinvent paratransit from the ground up, starting from a whiteboard, basically, what would it look like? And what we really did inside the session was ask a lot of questions. So we laid some groundwork around the foundations of what is not working about the current system, what, what is technology like today that is a little different that might support a better system, and what are, the, what are the forces that are propelling us forward in that direction of innovation, and what are the challenges that are pushing against us and making it more difficult to, to make those changes. And where we went from there was to ask people a lot of questions about what are, you, what are their attitudes about paratransit? What would they like to see? So, and I think there's an opportunity here to do some research, uh, to be a little bit more scientific. Um, but the first thing we did is we asked, what do you like about the current system? And to be honest, the main thing we heard was we like the fact that we the drivers have uniforms, the drivers have training, we know who they are, and that gives us a sense of confidence and comfort. And that was mostly what people liked and mostly everything else they didn't like as much about the current system. Um, we asked, what do you like about a, a new system? And what they really like about services like, say, Uber and Lyft and some of these alternative services that are easier for people to use is the flexibility, the fact that because they are typically not shared, you know how long it's going to take to get where you want to go. Um, we, we did find out, interestingly to me, that we know that people don't like to share the ride, but, but even more than that, people are willing to share rides if they know how long the ride is going to take. Mm -hmm. And that was a little bit surprising to me. Um, we found out that people really, really like technology. They don't like talking to a call center. They don't like waiting on hold. People who have access to phones would like to be able to book their own trips, check their own rides, see where their vehicle is, uh, comment on service, all those things that we can do through some of the standard transportation apps. People like that. So that, that didn't surprise me. It surprised me how strongly people felt. And the thing that people found the least important of everything we ask about was having a vehicle that is an agency vehicle with an agency branding and agency colors and a uniform driver. People by and large did not care about that one bit, which is interesting because the industry right now still believes in industry vehicles with industry drivers with uniforms and colors and the whole bit and, co and customers just don't care. So that was very interesting. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed participating in those surveys that you took. It was 
it was great to be able to, you know, from my own experiences, be able to raise my hand and vote on what I thought was important and what wasn't important. And I agree, it was really fascinating and fun to see the priorities that people have. So uh, thanks for doing that. That was a great, a great um, thing to participate in. Well, yeah, I think we might have tortured the moderator a yeah. little bit. Um, <laughs> Our, talk about I think getting run that over. Was one of them. Uh, they did a great job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the one thing that, um, uh, at least to my understanding, that you guys had in the resolution that you passed last year, um, bringing this to fruition, the transportation to fruition, was to get information from participants so that you guys could come back to those of us here in the national office and kind of really talk about what the transportation priorities of ACB are and where you guys want us to go. So do you feel like you guys were able to do that? And if so, you know, Clark and I are listening. What are some of the issues that have come forth from that? And I know we have a report that's coming to us, but I'd love to just hear even just some, um, you know, yeah. bits of it to share with everybody. Yeah, I think it's uh, pretty simple. Uh, we were able to get some feedback. Now the feedback is being refined. So right now the committees are, and this, when I say committees, I mean transportation and also environmental access with some input from resolutions. Uh, we are working on uh, crafting some things, and I don't think we will get there this year as far as a resolution, but I think we will get there as far as actual uh, recommendations for, for people to start talking about. Um, and really, there's, there's about four things that I want to just call out in addition to some of the details above. So first, there is an absolute belief that we need to have a stronger and more consistent approach to pedestrian rights of way. Mm -hmm. And some debate about what that should look like, but we really should have guidance for cities, states, communities, and the, uh, about pedestrian access. And those should be meaningful and they should be mandating accessibility and they should mandate things like audible pedestrian signals and when there are signals and when there are these things called lead pedestrian intervals which uh, is technology that basically creates an opportunity for for everyone to cross when there is no traffic those yeah, we need talked to be with Becky accessible about this today as yeah. well yeah. So, so those are things we want to see addressed and addressed in a comprehensive way and in a way that's accessible i think the second thing we really talked about is delinking paratransit requirements from when and where bus service operates. You know, we know from study after study after study that in most cities, and I would say maybe New York is not in this group, maybe Washington DC is not in this group, but most other places in the country, 95% of Americans travel by car whether they're driving it themselves or carpooling in somebody else's car, 95% of people travel by car. Why is it that we are tying paratransit to a bus system that is used by 5% of the population on a regular basis? So the idea is that it's really the inability to drive that limits our ability to participate in society, not so much our inability to use public transit, Therefore, paratransit should really solve for the real problem, which is inability to drive. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, that's a tough sell because the way the laws are written, For but sure. we think this is a conversation that we need to start having. Uh, another thing that we really talked about is we need to have alternatives to traditional paratransit. Paratransit can be delivered in other ways. They don't necessarily have to cost more. They don't necessarily have to look exactly like what they do today. And we should be looking for ways to make paratransit meet our needs as opposed to trying to adjust our lives to meet how paratransit works. And I would say finally, the last thing, and I think you alluded to it earlier, and that is we need to start educating ourselves and our members. We've talked about having community calls. We've talked about uh, you know, really engaging more with members on transportation challenges and environmental access challenges. Uh, we are working on plans to do that, uh, both in terms of community calls, which you've talked about, uh, but I would say also just in terms of future programming, future resolutions, transportation is going to take more of a vital role and more of an out front role in, in our organization. And to, you know, to put it simply, we're going to drive this issue uh, until we reach a, a conclusion, until we get to a destination that we're all happy with. That's great. Those are all really, really fascinating topics. And I look forward to reading the reports and the resolutions that come forth from that. So thank you. And uh, I'm taking paratransit home from work today. So I will ponder those as I sit on the old school, big, you know, jankety old bus. <laughs> so, well, great. at least with COVID-19, you probably have fewer people to, to drop off and pick up on the way. That so. is true. That is very true. The, the silver lining of You'll COVID-19. You'll have it all to yourself. <laughs> That's right. Thanks, Ruben. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much, Ron, for sharing that um, with us. Um, we just thank Sheila, Becky, and yourself for sharing with us today a little bit about what was talked about and what the, the reason and the, um, the genesis behind the forum was and what's been taken away from it and what ACB will do with it going forward. So we really appreciate you coming and talking with us today. Oh, and thank you, and, and thanks to you know, the staff, the board, the organization's taken a strong interest in transportation. And I think that's in service of our members. And I think it's going to lead to a lot of amazing progress uh, in the months and, and years to come. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I always say I think transportation is one of the biggest barriers and challenges to the blind community. So I think it's a it's a very important topic. Keep advocating. listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org.